I don't care how many people love you and encourage you or the ones that try to tear you down or destroy you. When God has a dream for you, it is your dream. Your dream. Your dream. And there are people who love you who will think that they're saying the right things to you to try to protect you. Or there are people that have been, been, that have been in your lives and watched you grow up and they don't know what God has put down inside of you because they think they're too familiar with you. But what you have to understand is when God has something for you, you have to go for it fully, fully. You know, you, you didn't dream you would be here today. Maybe, you know, give us a little bit of your background and how you grew up and, uh, you know, somebody's listening today and saying, wow, great, you're at Tyler Perry's and you got all this stuff going on in your life, Joel, but I'm not there. Yeah. You know, maybe some inspiration, because you didn't start, this is not where, you know, if you looked at the statistics back then, you wouldn't be sitting in a studio and the most successful African-American filmmaker in history, never dreamed, but you know what, God has something in you. Right, yeah, for sure. People look at the now and they don't look at the what I went through. Mm -hmm. And if you miss the through and look at the now, you tend to, to sometimes find yourself in, in envy of it or jealous of it. Yeah. But if you look at the struggle and the walk, and it was very, very difficult. I, I came from a, a home that was, um, you know, my mother was, uh, uh, 17 years, 16 years old when she met my father. He lied to her and said that he was uh, rich and he was gonna take her away from the small town of Louisiana. They end up getting married and end up in New Orleans. And at 18, she's married, finds out he, didn't have, he wasn't rich. He didn't have a ranch in Texas. He had nothing to offer her. And there she was, uh, married to this man, broke, live in a, in a nightclub trying to find somewhere for them to live. And at 18, she's pregnant with my sister, and then at 19 with my other sister, and I can tell she was trying to stop. Then around 24, I'm born into it. I'm born into this chaos and this hell between the two of them because they were just both very, very wounded people, and they were trying to raise a wounded child. Uh, my father had been abused since he was a kid, so he would beat my mother, he would beat me. He was just a man who was very, very um, violent and dark. And but, 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 but of his own issues. And looking at it from this point again, looking at it from the now, where I am now, I understand it. Yeah. And I was able to forgive it because I understand it. But coming through that and then growing up in New Orleans and having friends this during the 80s when there was an AIDS epidemic and we would go to church and every, every Sunday someone would die. Wow. I, I would go to school and someone would be murdered. Every day we'd go to school and one of his classmates was murdered. There wasn't any grief counseling. Nobody told you how to deal with it. Uh, I didn't think I was going to live to see 30 because everybody that I know had known was either in jail or they had died. Wow. So uh, I'm, I'm going through all of this, but in the midst of it, I have a mother. Mm. Come on. Who taught me about Jesus. Come on, Andy. Who taught me about faith, wow. who taught me about God, who wouldn't let me give up on it. And, and I, have to, <laughs> I have these extremes in my family because my mother was the type of Christian that believed at her level. Because on Friday night, you know, she was drinking and smoking and playing cards. But Sunday morning, she's like, come on, baby, we're going to church. You know, then I had another aunt who was a demon chasing, tongue speaking, fire and brimstone, who believed at her level. So I found myself with this balance of finding that God, knowing God and understanding God and living in truth and living the life that God wants you to. It's also about living in balance. You know, not being too far either way, yeah. but just walking the path of faith that God wants and has for you, you know? 
Yeah. That makes sense? Oh, yeah. 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 So yeah. amazing. You know, I was, Tyler's got a new book out. It's called uh, Hire is Waiting. It's so inspirational. Tyler, you're a preacher too. I know you know that. <laughs> but uh, you know what? That one chapter I was reading, it just oh, goes. Oh, Lord, praise God. <laughs> no, it was called uh, Breaking Patterns. And it's interesting you said that because my father was raised during the Great Depression and they were very poor. It wasn't, wasn't your situation, I'm not comparing it, but he was raised very, very poor. and. Later in life, maybe in his 40s, my father started, started thinking about all the things his parents didn't give him. Man, I didn't get a good upbringing, didn't get a, you know, he kind of let it all build up and he was gonna go back and kind of let them have it. Mm. And he said, I guess it was, I guess he said the Lord, something spoke to him down in here. He said, he said John, what if you were in their shoes? Mm. What if you were raised in the Great Depression? What if you didn't have any money? So basically saying, you know, not making an excuse for people, but you know, the people that, that raised you, they didn't get what they should have gotten. Right. But somebody's gotta rise up and break the pattern. Yeah. Somebody's gotta say like you did, say I'm gonna set a new standard for my family. That's what my father did. Rather than blaming the past and saying, well, I've got an excuse to be bitter, to be angry, to be dysfunctional, you know, not making, not making light of any of that, but I love people like you that says, you know what, I'm not gonna pass that on down to my children. Yeah. You broke the, the, broke the pattern. you have any thoughts about that, about breaking the pattern? Yeah, well, well, it came down to forgiveness of my father and how, how important that was. Well, forgiveness is so important. But people always ask, how did you do that? How did you do that? And the one thing I came back, I always come back to is, first of all, praying, lots of prayer. But also, the thing that opened it up for me is one day I sat down and asked, what happened to you? And he said something to me that blew my mind. He said, he couldn't answer it. He said, third grade education, but he said, you don't know what happened to me. And I said, no, I don't, so share it with me. And he couldn't share it. So I started asking other family members to kind of describe his life. And once I was able to understand and separate myself from being his son and all the things that he didn't give and all the tools that he didn't have, he had been sent out on a journey in life with a suitcase with no tools to raise a child, no tools to be a husband. It's like going on a business trip with an empty suitcase and you've got nothing that you need to make it through the night. So once I understood that, I was able to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and allow him to not just be the man that raised me, but to be a human being who had many, many flaws, many, many struggles, a lot of pain. And once I understood that, I, I said, okay, God, what he did is still wrong, but I am able to forgive him because of his background and his history. And I, and I told this to, there's also a letter in there I wrote to, to a friend of mine who was very upset with his father because his father wasn't there and the father couldn't give him things. But I told him, your father taught you in reverse. If you do the opposite of what he did, you have your answer on how to be a good husband, wow. how to be a good father. So I learned in reverse. Wow, that's so powerful. And so, Tyler, um, you know, getting, getting to where you are now, but that, that wasn't easy. I mean, Matt, you were with Tyler, or, you know, back in 1999. Take that yeah, up. We, we, we met uh, way back, and, and um, at some point when we would have met, you were, you were not the steward over giant studios. You didn't have hit after hit, you didn't have a new, number one New York Times best-selling book, you didn't have some of those things, and we met you know, about 1999. Uh, but you have a chapter in your book about asking. Mm -hmm. uh, how, do we, how do we start asking for something and not think that we're being selfish about something? You know, for me, I, I, I go by what's, what's burning inside me, what's on my heart, what's, what's in my soul. Like, I, I feel like we all have a candle 
that we're given to carry, this little light of mine my mother used to sing about. We all have this light, and that light is your destiny. That light is the thing that's gonna lead you to your path. What is that in your own life? So, so I always wanted to ask in alignment to what that light was. There have been many times when I was struggling and homeless and broke and out on the street and didn't have anything and any food, and, 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 and $20 would have made the difference between me, wow. me, me having food for a week or not, but that light, that compass, that, that, that was always there, was always say, for me, I know now it was the voice of God and the light of God and the light of Christ saying, you know what? You're gonna be okay, just pay attention to this. So what I would ask, I would always ask according to the light. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would ask God to do things according to what the way this light was shining or whichever direction it was. It was a light unto my feet. So whichever way it was leading me to, that is what I'd ask. And I write in the book about this, about, you know, back in the day before there were flashlights on your cell phone, I would get up in the middle of the night. I didn't want to wake anybody up. So I'd, I'd, I'd use the light from the cell phone to walk through the house. So I've got this little bit of light and I couldn't see in front of me just, just far enough to walk two or three steps. And I think that's what walking by faith is sometimes because walking by faith can be very uncomfortable. And, and if when you're walking by faith and you're asking by faith, sometimes you don't have the whole picture. You wow. just have this little bit of light and you just have to keep moving forward. Your story about the light also made me think of a Sunday school uh, teacher I heard said, um, one of the little students in the Sunday school class said, teacher, can we sing that cussing song? Hmm. And he goes, no, we can't sing a cussing song. He goes, no, that cussing song. What? Let's do the cussing song, you know? He goes, that little light of mine. No, no, no. Hide it under a bush? Hell no. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's, that's your aunt and mother's version. That's, that's our version. For sure. That's our, that's our version. Dean can use that. Yeah, yeah. That's that little light of mine. Yeah, that's right. You know, I want to ask something because, like Joel said at the opening, that, you know, everyone sees the now. Mm -hmm. They don't see the then. And I think with everyone has faced this before, and you, you talk about it in your book about feeling worthy. Mm -hmm. And so often things can happen to us and we don't feel worthy yeah. or we make excuses. You know, well, I can't do this because this happened to me. Right. And I'm just, how did you overcome that feeling of not feeling worthy? You, you wrote about it in your book. The, the, I didn't even know I had a gift to write. So when I started writing my first characters, I, I had, I kept thinking, um, you know, why is, I would write a line and the character would say, I'm moving over here. And I would say, well, why is the character moving over there? So you always search for the motivation. So my writing became my therapy. I started searching for the motivation in everything in my life. And I started thinking about my mother, how, how she stayed with this man. No matter what happened, she would not leave. She stayed by his side and she loved him to the day she died. She loved, and I just couldn't understand why she would stay in this abuse. And I had come to a point where I was doing pretty well. I could have moved her out of the house. She still stayed. And then one day I'm praying, I'm like, God, what is this? And the, the word came to me, she didn't feel worthy. Wow. And if you live in a place where you don't feel worthy, then you can't allow any good thing to come into your life. Every good thing, you find a way to self-sabotage it in the back of your mind. You may be saying, oh yes, I want this for sure, I want this for sure, but, but, but that unworthiness, and that comes from what something mama said, or daddy said, or childhood, or bullying, or abuse, so you carry all of that into adulthood, and you don't feel worthy. And I, I, in searching my own motivations, I realized very early on that I, I, wasn't, I didn't think I was worthy until I learned in the Word that I'm worthy because God says you're worthy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He's, if, if God gave you the breath in your body, then that makes you worthy. Yes. And just that alone took a lot of the guilt out of it for me. 
you know, and understanding that his thoughts toward us are pure. Yeah. Yeah, and to, and to give us a hope. You know, those things are very, very important. And, and I think that if more people could understand, that's why another reason I wanted to write the book is just get to worthy. Just get, no matter what you do, get to worthy. Let worthy be the focus. That wow. doesn't mean you're arrogant. That doesn't mean you're cocky. What that means is that you believe what God says about yes. you. Preach. Oh, yeah. so good. Yeah. We're talking with them. Friend Tyler Perry at the Tyler Perry Studios, but you know, as 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 a pastor of Tyler, that's that we deal with that so much because yeah. people, you know, life beats you down. Isn't it exhausting though? Can I just ask you as a pastor? I mean, you stand there Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and you give all this word, give all this word, and then you've got people that come and they say, "I just need, I just need this, I just need that." But then you just hear the sermon. It's got to be, it's got to be a little bit exhausting because, because if they would just take it in, take the word, let it become life to them, it doesn't always happen all, all at once. Yeah. But it's got to be exhausted. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to get you to admit it. I'm not going to get you to admit it. Oh, it's a no. blessing. It's just a blessing. Amen. Amen. Didn't think it's going to turn around on you. One of my favorites when somebody comes up and you've just given them 30 minutes. Says, you have a word for me today after the service. And I said, I just gave you 30 I minutes. Just, I, just gave 30 minutes <laughs> I gave you my best. Pick but, one. Pick one. All of the words I just gave. Yeah. But you know, I do think life beats you down. And if, especially, you know, I was raised by two good parents. And I, I think about some people, they didn't, maybe they had two parents but they weren't speaking life into them. They were, you know, telling them what they couldn't become or just life in general. But, I, you know, we all have a recording playing in our mind. Mm -hmm. And some people don't realize the recording is wrong yeah. because they grew up with people yeah. that didn't teach them the right things. So it's, it's, I'm not attractive. I'm not talented. I can't do what they did. You know, and I'm, I'm not worthy. They're saying, until you, until you change that recording, you'll never reach your destiny. Yeah. You gotta go back to plug it in. You are who God says you are, yeah. not who people say you are. And God says you're blessed, you're yeah. valuable. In Ephesians, he calls you a masterpiece. Mm. And I think you get that down on the, in, on the inside. And again, it's not an arrogance. Mm. It's not I'm better than somebody else. It's just, I know who I am. I'm yeah. a child of the Most High God. Mm. I'm yeah. not here by accident. Yeah. You know, God breathed life into me. God breathed life into each one of us. But I really think that's the first step to, to stepping up to become who you were created to be, to, to know that God breathed life into you. I mean, the scripture says he's crowned us with favor that we have his you know, royal blood flowing through our veins. So you know, if you can change that recording, Beautiful. You know, turn off the old, plug in the new. You, know, you are who God says you are, valuable, talented, one of a kind, a masterpiece. I'm not supposed to be preaching this. <laughs> no, 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 I, you know, I think the, what I love is what Tyler said. That's good. I love what Tyler said, examine the motivation behind it. Right. I think that can help a lot of people yes. because when you're saying I'm not this and I'm not that, it becomes an excuse. Right. And that excuse, it allows you not to yeah. be. So I think that's a real key point to help the, people. The motivation, is, what, what is, is motivation? your motivation? Why yeah. can't you do it? Right. Who right. told you, right. you know, and is it true? And just begin to, and that's what you said you did with your writing right. and your and letters. Life. Yeah. Dis discovered in you things that you never dreamed that were in there. Yeah, but also, also you couple that with fear because there's a fear of, like when I forgave my father, I was empty. I remember yelling and screaming on the phone. I just had it out with him. I just, I, I couldn't do it in person because I still felt like I was a two-year-old in front of him. Wow. But we were on the phone and we were wow. yelling and screaming. I was saying everything I want to say. And after I got off the phone, I forgave him. And I was left empty. The, the forgiveness will rip something out of you. I mean, wow. it will rip it out of you like a weight, like 30, 40, 50 pounds wow. out of you. And the scary part of it was, I didn't realize that my disdain for him 
was my fuel. Wow. I was operating from a negative, dark wow. place. That was my fuel for my motivation to succeed. I'll show you. You said this, I'll show you I'm not that. You said this, I'll show you I'm better than that. So that was my fuel. So once that was gone, see, people hold on to forgiveness because it's easy. It becomes wow. easy. to uh, Unforgiveness becomes easy. So there I was holding on to this. And when I, when I realized I had forgiven him, my source of fuel was gone. Wow. I had to find another source. It's like having a car and putting unleaded fuel in it when it runs on regular yeah. or, or diesel. So you got an engine that had been built to run on diesel, and now all of a sudden you got to put on leaded fuel, and what do you do? Wow. So for me, it was going back to the foundation of my motivation, as you said, of, of how do I, okay, this happens, this is how I feel. And I don't, listen, I don't lie to God and I don't lie to myself. I, how do you feel? I'm very honest. This is how I feel about it. This is how this affected me. This is where I am. Okay, now what do you do to get up? Yeah. So turning that, taking that negativity of I'll show you, I'll show you, I'll show you into I am what God says I am. You know, this blessing is for me. This gift is for me. I can do this because God said I can, because his word said I can. Once I made the shift, my whole life changed. You know, I love what you said, Tyler, about um, I had to separate the sin from the person. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such a part of healing in our lives today is we can find somebody that is gonna beat us down. Yeah. All of our childhood, whatever happened, you can become a victim of that and never achieve, you know, let them blow out your candle yeah. and never achieve what you're supposed to in life. But I think the, that such a key is to separate the sin from the person, the hurt from the person. That's how Jesus did it. He said, Father, forgive them for they know yeah. not what they do. He had to separate the, the person that God made in his image you know, to understand that. But you were talking about everyone has a candle. Yeah. And um, how do we protect the dreams that God's put in our lives? You know what I started doing? I started hiding it. I, talk, I think I talk about that in the book too because there were dream killers. There were people all around who didn't want me to succeed. Wow. So I started hiding my light. I would tell them, I'm gonna do this. I'll never forget it. And my mother loved me, and she would hate that I'm saying this. I, my mother loved me dearly, but one day the play had failed, and uh, I used her credit card to... to, uh, to oh, dear. <laughs> oh, we've all done that. Oh, dear. I, well, yeah, I, I used her credit card to, uh, to ch charter the band, to, to rent the band to drive up to do the play, and came back, and the bill was $300, and I couldn't pay it, and she was furious, because $300 on the credit card to my mother, it may as well have been $30 million. <laughs> So... So she's, she's arguing with me. She's so mad. She's sitting there smoking, and she said, you're never going to make it. You're never going to make it. Give up that play stuff. Go to the phone company. Get you a good job. Make you about $300 a week, and you're going to be all right. Get you some benefits. That's all you need. And she didn't see me sitting behind her. Tears were falling from my face. And then she turned around. The blood drained from her face. She said, baby, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't, she didn't get it. But her dream for me was her dream. Wow. So where she came from, the phone company and everything, that's, that was a reality. But when God has something else for you, yes. it's a whole different thing. So, so I'm sitting there with the woman that I love most in this world, and I, I'm sharing my dream, and I felt like there was a chip at it. So I started hiding it mm. and protecting it. And even, even this place was kind of hard to hide. I, 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 <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been, uh, let me sit it over here and protect it and yeah. nurture it right. while it's fledgling yeah. so that it can find its feet and grow because it's been such a blessing to so many people. So it's very, I, I think very important that, that if you are sharing your dream with a lot of people and you're getting a lot of negativity and naysayers saying that you can't, you can't, you'll never do it, even if that person is in your house and in your bed that you've been married to for years, sometimes you have to hold that and go, okay, I'm going to keep this bit over here for myself and I'm going to dream this dream. Wow. I don't know if that's biblical. You might want to attack that. No, but, no, but, uh, it is. But, we can ask Joseph. <laughs> yes, you're right. That's right. That's right. That's right. You know, that's right. You know maybe, maybe like you said, if Joseph wouldn't have announced what God, yeah. you know, his brothers wouldn't have done that. There's another place in the scripture, and I'm not the theologian, but there's another place that talks about the, the hidden petitions of your heart, the secret petitions of your heart. Mm. You know, I talk about Tyler sometimes. Ask God for those secret petitions. Don't ask anybody else, because yeah, they won't right. believe you. They'll think, you're gonna do that? Even when I, when I stepped up to minister, I had never ministered before 1999. My dad had a heart attack, and I felt like I was supposed to step up and pastor the church, and I got up and did my best, but I was so nervous, and I was, every voice was saying, you're not a minister, you hadn't been to seminary, you don't have the personality, and all that. But, you know, I would, I would encourage myself, and first couple of Sundays I did okay because people love my parents, but I was out in the front lobby one, yeah, my parents, thank God, but one Sunday I was out in the oh, lobby. Oh, he doing his best, y'all clap for him. <laughs> Yeah. You, know when they, you know when they say, bless his heart, bless you're not doing heart. good. Bless his heart. So I was out in the front lobby and I was already so insecure. After service, I'd just spoken like my second time and I heard these two older ladies, they were in front of me, they didn't know I was behind them. And one of them kind of whispered, he's not as good as his dad. Mm. And somebody else said, you know, I don't think it's gonna make it. I mean, that was like, Somebody announced it. I mean, that's like the worst thing I could possibly hear. But, you know, I look back now, and thank God I made it, but I look back now and I realize, you know, those are times of testing. Mm. You know, God could have kept them away from me, but when I heard that, it's like, oh, a dagger. Mm. Oh, they already thought I wasn't good, and then I hear it from them. But you know what I do is, you know what I was saying earlier, you gotta reprogram your mind. Yeah. Every Saturday night, I'd, I'd be so nervous for Sunday morning, I'd look at myself in the mirror and say, Joel, you are anointed, Come on, you can do all things yeah. through Christ, you are strong in the Lord, this is your time. See, I've learned, you can talk yourself out of your dreams, or you can talk yourself into your dreams. You know, if you'll, if you'll talk to yourself the right way, and it's not just psyching yourself up, it's getting in, in, getting in agreement with the creator of the universe. I love what you're saying. You said you, you prayed according to that light. I mean, that's the destiny God puts in all of us. And I think sometimes we're waiting for God to speak like he did in the Ten Commandments, right. but God's speaking to us all the time yeah. just by leading us and guiding us. And so I just encourage you, you know, put the right thoughts in you. You know, people may have pushed you, pushed you down, but God wants to lift you up. He wants to take you places you've never dreamed. And even, even myself, Tyler, and I'm gonna get off of me, but I didn't, I didn't think this was in me. Mm. See, I was behind the scenes 17 years. I was running camera and doing the production. My dad tried to get me to minister, but I thought, I'm not a minister. What would I, what would I say? But God, that through the death of my father, it was that adversity that pushed me into the next level of my destiny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we won't move on our own, God is so gracious, He'll use adversity to push us there. Wow. And, you know, and I, and I love what you're talking about too. You know, all those experiences, they're getting you prepared for where you're going right now. We talk about this moment where, where I was trying to get the career off the ground and all of a sudden it started taking off. And I was in demand everywhere. We were selling out. We couldn't add any more seats to the theater. I was doing 350, 60, 70 shows a year. Just wouldn't stop. Just performance after performance after performance. And something was happening. You ever find yourself 
in a moment where everything is going great and then all of a sudden you get anxiety about something? I found myself having great anxiety about being able to fly. I was a very, very nervous flyer. You know, coming from a kid who had nothing, who had never been on a plane to 20-something years old, putting me on my first plane, and I didn't understand it. I was scared to death. I get on the plane with my oil. <laughs> I had a friend named Nita. She gave me oil, just oil. She would just pray over it. And oh, I had olive oil all over myself, just <laughs> anointing the door as I'm going in, anointing every seat. People coming behind me going, what is this all over the place? Get to my seat, we take off. Flight attendant come on and say the stuff. They say I didn't hear none of it. I was just holding on, holding on, holding on. We take off, I'm white knuckled. You have not seen white knuckles until you see a black man with white knuckles holding on to something. So there I was, in demand, but afraid to fly. Then the horror of 9-11 happened and I stopped flying altogether. I said, I can't do it anymore. I started taking my bus everywhere. So I was on the bus and my promoters and the people in my business folk were like, Tyler, my agent, like, what do you mean? You're, you're coming to California on a bus? Yeah, how long does that take? I don't know, four days. <laughs> you know how much time you're wasting? You don't want to get on a plane and just come? No, 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 I can't do it, I can't do it. So finally, I was, one day I was running in the park. I said, God, I got to do something. I'm getting all this demand, and this is hindering the blessing that you're giving me. It's hindering me because I'm afraid to fly. So what I did was I'm running in the park one day, and I'm exercising, and I see this little plane in the air, and it's, it's being tossed around. And I immediately start praying for the people on the plane. I said, Lord, have mercy, help them, Lord. All that turbulence, help them. Jesus, Shabbat, oh, she Shabbat, Jesus. You know it's bad when you call Jesus and Shabbat at the same time. And then the plane gets lower and lower, and then all of a sudden it comes down and land. I realize it's a toy. There's a man flying a remote control airplane in the park. I said, you know what, I'm going to go buy one of those. Maybe that's what I need to be all right. So I go and I go to the hobby shower and I said, okay, let me have one of these. I don't read the instructions. I don't do any of that. Just like a man, just take it home, take it out of the box, take off, boom, crash, two seconds. Did nothing to help me. Went back the next day, bought another one, boom, same thing. About the fourth or fifth time I went, the old guy that worked there, he said, son, you got more money than sense. I said, come here, sit on this simulator, let me show you how this works. And he started explaining to me how an airplane works, how the wings have lift and the airfoil, and how there's an aileron that goes right and left, and there's an elevator that goes up and down to make the plane go up and down. Then there's yawing and all this stuff. And as I was learning, I got fascinated. So I bought them and started flying, and I was like, yeah, I got it now, I got it. I'm gonna be able to fly. So I started flying again. Then I said, you know what, I'm gonna get my pilot's license. So one day I'm walking into an airport and I see this little plane. It uh, looks like a little Volkswagen with wings. It was called a Cirrus, and they were explaining to me what's great about the Cirrus is that if you get in trouble, there's a parachute. You pull a handle inside, a rocket shoots out in a parachute, it lets the whole plane come to the ground. I said, yep, that's the one I want. That's the one I'm gonna fly on right there. So I called the salesman and we go up, and he takes me up, and I've never been in a plane this small. He took me up early in the morning, the air was smooth, wonderful, it was great. We're taking off, I was like, wow, this is really nice. He said, you wanna try the yoke? I'm like, sure, no white knuckles. I'm just taking the yoke, planes moving from left to right. I was like, okay, I'll buy it. Called him the next day, I said, you know what, let's go up again just so I'm, I'm sure and comfortable. He said, okay, well, I only have a slot in the afternoon. So we go up in noon. Now, if you know anything about flying, the middle of the day in the heat and the thermals is not very comfortable. So we take off and we're in the heat and thermals and the plane is bouncing around. 
I mean bouncing, a little plane, and I am having a fit. I'm like, uh, we gonna have to land. He's like, no, 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 just stay. I'm like, nope, nope, land, Shaba, I can't do it. Land, <laughs> land, land, I need my feet on land. He said, hold on just a minute. Air traffic control comes over in a headset and the lady says, 378 Golf Lima, climb and maintain 6,500 feet. So he pushes the throttle, hit the elevator up, plane goes up, we go up. And we break through this layer where all of this turbulence was happening. Then all of a sudden we got to a place where everything was smooth all because somebody said climb and maintain. Climb and maintain. Climb and maintain. With that in mind, I'd like to go to the scripture if you don't mind. Those of you who have your Bibles, turn with me to Vic Jody, the 21st chapter and the 16th verse of Vic Jody. If you have it, say amen. Uh, Why y'all laughing? Oh, because you know there's no Vic Jody in the Bible? I'm glad because that Saturday night crowd wasn't too sure. They were looking for it. They were looking for it. <laughs> Vic Jody, that's a cross between Victoria, Joel, and Mama Doty, and they were looking for it in the Bible. It was something. <laughs> but seriously, I'd like to go to Genesis, the 22nd chapter. Genesis 22nd chapter. And it reads as follows, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here am I. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell of thee. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled the donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the donkeys and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the first, he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, he said, Father, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God told them of. And Abraham built an altar and laid the wood in the order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon thy lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Today I want to talk to you about anxiety. Anxiety. I look at this scripture and I, I see Isaac, who is a young man at the time from theologians and historians say he's about 13, from 13 into his 20s. And he is walking up to a higher place 
with this father, his father, a man that he trusts, that he loves, that he respects. His father is leading him to a higher place. And as he's walking up, Isaac says, Abraham, daddy, father, I see the burnt offering. I, I, I see the wood, sorry, I see the wood. I see the fire, but where is the offering? Meaning, I see the knife, I see the wood, I see all the tools for a sacrifice, but where is the sacrifice itself? I see the knife, I see the wood, I see the fire, but where is the sacrifice? He's got anxiety about it. I can imagine he's got anxiety. Like, what is going on here? We're going up to this place and I see all these things that are about to take me out of here or could take me out of here or could take the offering for the animal out of here, but why are we in this moment? So I wanted to talk to you about anxiety. Like those of you who are dealing with things, walking through situations in this life, you're married, things are going great, then all of a sudden something happens. Person wants a divorce. You thought you would live your life forever with this person and all of a sudden the very person that you thought would be there forever is about to leave and you see the knife, you see the wood, you see the fire, but you're wondering, are you the sacrifice? You've got children that you're raising and everything seemed to be fine when they were younger, but now they're at a place where they're a little bit older and they're doing things that you couldn't even imagine and you're worried. They've got addictions, they've got things going on and you're wondering, God, what is going on? You see the knife, you see the wood, you see the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Those dreamers in here who are trying to build a dream, everything seems to be going fine and all of a sudden you hear something, there's a rumbling, something is happening that is trying to, to distract you. You see the knife, you see the wood, you see the fire, you've got anxiety, you can't sleep. You're tossing and turning all night long, wondering what is going on. God, what is going on in this moment? What is going on? What is happening right now? I've been there. It's a very difficult place when you know that you've got anxiety all over you. So as I look at this text and I see Isaac wondering, is he the sacrifice? I came here to tell you some good news. If you are in this place and you are wondering if you are the sacrifice, I came to tell you that you are not. You are not the sacrifice. God did not bring you this far to leave you. You are not about to die. You are not about to lose everything. You are not the sacrifice. How do I know that? In the very next verse, Abraham answers Isaac. He says, God himself will provide the sacrifice. So here in this moment in the Old Testament, they are under the law, so they needed the blood of a lamb for the atonement of sin. Us today, we are under grace. So the blood of Jesus atones for our sins. So Jesus was already the sacrifice. So let me ask you something. Since God himself provided the sacrifice and was the sacrifice, why are you having so much anxiety nailing yourself to a cross that Jesus has already risen from? What do you do in this moment though? Now that you know you're not the sacrifice, what do you do? How do you get past it? How do you get past this anxiety? How do you rest? How do you have peace? How do you, what do you do? And that is in the scripture for me as I was reading, this is what made me think about it. Abraham tells his servants, stay here and me and Isaac are going to go up and worship. 
He saw a mountain that God had led him to, so he was going to go up and worship. So they were going to climb. They were going to go up and they were going to climb and they were going to maintain. They were going to worship. Climb and maintain. The climbing is the prayer and the worship is maintaining. So what do you do with anxiety? You climb and maintain. It's turbulent, you go higher, you climb, you pray, you maintain, you worship. You pray and you worship. You climb and maintain. You pray and worship. You climb and maintain. You pray and worship. Listen to me. Turn to somebody right now and tell them you are not the sacrifice. I want to tell you something. Go home and get you some rest tonight because understanding that you are not the sacrifice, all you have to do is climb and maintain. All you have to do to get rid of the anxiety is to pray and to worship. What, what prayer, simple prayer. Prayer is talking to God, just having a conversation with him. God, I need you. God, I need you to be with me right now. God, I need you to walk me through this thing. God, I need you to be by my side. Please, Father, in the name of Jesus, stay with me. Let your blood be with me, O Lamb of God. Thank you right now. Lord, increase my territory. Let your hand of favor stay with me. Keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. You've got to pray. And that is the climb. And then the maintain is the worship. God, you're wonderful. How I love your name. How excellent are you, O Lamb of God. You have no rival. You have no equal. You are the only true and living God. God, thank you for everything you've ever done for me. God, I worship you only you can. You've got to climb and maintain. And you've got to read the word. You've got to get into some of those Psalms where you really understand that God is on your side. Psalms 91 says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Surely he will deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noiseless pestilence. A thousand shall fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me. Yes, sir. Only with mine eyes will I behold and see the reward of the wicked because I have made the Lord, which is the most high, my habitation. Therefore, no evil shall befall me, neither shall any plague come near my dwelling. For he will give his angels charge over me to keep me in all of my ways. They will bear me up in their hands lest I dash my foot against the stone. I will tread on the lion, the adder, and the young lion, and the dragon shall I trample under my feet. You've got to get the word inside it. You've got to believe that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. You've got to climb and maintain. You've got to climb and maintain. If you don't remember anything else I said today, remember climb and maintain. If it's turbulent and there's trouble, go higher. Don't sit there. The devil is breathing down your neck. He's right where he's supposed to be. Because the Bible says you ought to say, get thee behind me, Satan. But if you want him to flee, just submit to God and resist him and he's got to flee. I've never seen anybody in the presence of God worshiping and praising and the devil was able to stay. If you want him to flee, you got to praise and worship. You got to pray and worship. You got to climb and maintain. You got to get into the word of God. And here's how I know that it's going to be all right. The first five words of this text simply says, and it came to pass, which means whatever you're going through did not come to stay. You're going to be all right. Abraham 
told his servants, stay here. This is the thing that blew my mind, stay here. And we're gonna go up and worship. But there's a little part of the verse where he says, and we will return to you. Well, Abraham, if you're going up to sacrifice your son, how do you know you're coming back with your son? When you have that kind of trust and that kind of faith in God, I don't care what it looks like, it's gonna be all right. And Abraham turned and he named the place Jehovah Jireh, meaning God will provide. So the very thing you're worried about, don't worry about it because God will provide. But Tyler, you don't understand, it's been difficult, it's been hard, God will provide. But Tyler, you don't understand, I love my wife and my husband, this has been really difficult, but you don't understand, God will provide. Just climb and maintain, just pray and worship, just climb and maintain. And if I can leave you with anything, I wanna leave you with this. Hear me clearly when I say this. There are people who come in your life sometimes to be there for a season. They weren't meant to be there always. Sometimes we find ourselves hooked up with people that we think are there for a lifetime, but they were only supposed to be there for a season. There are people who come in your life like boosters for a rocket. If you ever watch a rocket go into space, the boosters fall off when it reaches a certain altitude. Some people are not equipped to handle the altitudes that you're going to. So don't be afraid when they fall off. They're not bad people. They just couldn't go where you're going. At TBN, our mission is to use every available means to reach as many individuals and families as possible with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for helping make the gospel of grace go around the world. Without you, we couldn't do it. God bless you.